that those who are truly your sons and daughters are led by the Spirit. And you say when the Spirit comes, it will lead us into all truth. It will take those things that are of yours, Jesus, and give it to us. And you tell us not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would lead us today, this morning. Lead us in your everlasting way. Lead us to the point where we can get the heart of the Father. That we can get his kingdom. That we can get his attitude. Holy Spirit, come and guide us. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen and amen. Once again, it is so good to see you this morning. And, uh, you know, you want to sit up here and catch this torture this morning, huh? So, it's so good to see y'all. And we're going to jump right into the Word. And I'd like to read the Word. And then I, I want to tell you about a young man by the name of Henry Blackaby. Henry Blackaby is a guy that wrote a book called Experiencing God. And this particular book has seven principles that I think will help you understand these two verses. And in this uh, fifth chapter, when you begin to look at verse 17 and verse 18, here's what it says. It says, uh, so then. And the so then goes back up to waking up. The so then goes back up into be careful how we walk. Because last week we talked about walking as wise people. The walk of the wise. So when he uses the word so then, he is referring back to those two verses. And then he says so then, here is a prohibition. The prohibition is not to be foolish. And here is a word that I think is so misunderstood in the English language because the Bible shows it as something different. We will go back and look at that. It says, but I want you to understand something. I want you to put yourself in a place where you stand on the information, you gather all that information, but you need to understand what? You need to understand what the will of the Lord is. And God has a will. God. Has a plan. And then he says, and do not, the second prohibition that says, get drunk. The drunkenness has a message in it that is very unhealthy, but it says, don't get drunk with wine. And then it says, for that is uh, dissipation. There's something that's a deteriorating uh, downward spiral about being drunk. Dissipation. But, he says, feel be filled with the Spirit. Now, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? If you have had any uh, history of reading a book that was written years and years ago by a man by the name of Henry Blackaby, and the name of the book was called Experiencing God. And there's not a soul that's living that don't want to experience God. But we experience God because of our intimacy with him. 
But what he did was he put seven principles together, and I'm going to give them to you. Because what they're going to do is help you understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. The first thing that he says is that God is at work. Now, I want you to know that God is working right now, even as we speak. And Jesus says in James 5, 17, that my Father is working, and so am I. It says the Father loves the Son, therefore the Father shows the Son what he is doing, so that you and I may marvel. So the first thing that we learn about being filled with the Spirit is that God is working, and he's working through the Spirit. The second thing that it says is that God is pursuing a loving relationship with you in that work right now. So there's something about being filled with the Spirit that God pursues you. And I'm so glad that God pursues me because there's times when I don't pursue Him. God pursues me in the sense that He says, come and I will see you. But He also says, I will knock in Revelation. And if I knock and you open up the door, guess what? I'll come in I'll fellowship with you. God is saying, I'm coming. I'm knocking. So not only is he working, but he is pursuing. And he's pursuing you for the purpose of building a relationship with you. And the third thing that Mr. Blackaby writes about, he says that in that God's work, in the fact that he's pursuing you, he says, guess what? He's also giving you an invitation to come. And you'll see that all the way from Genesis to Revelation, that God is giving you an invitation right now to join him. That invitation comes because he says, come unto me in the 11th chapter of Matthew, all of you who are what? In labor, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. He says, come unto me and I will give you rest. Learn of me. Take my yoke upon you. Come. Come and buy without cost, he says. That's what I say. So not only is he working, not only is he pursuing you, and not only is he inviting you to come, but he wants you to come for a reason. And then the fourth thing he's doing is he's always speaking to you. He speaks to you through the word. He speaks to you through his spirit, what we're talking about. He speaks to you through his circumstances. He just speaks to you through everything you can just look at, even as you look at creation. So he's working. He asks you to come and be invited with him. He asks you to come because he's pursuing you, but he's also speaking with you. Now, these last three things are really important. All of it pertains to being filled by the Spirit. Number five, in all of those first four things, he will bring you to a crisis of belief. He will challenge your faith. He will put you in a situation where you have to trust him to get through it. It's called a crisis of belief. He does that because he wants to what? Not only cause you to trust him, what it says in Proverbs 3, 5, to trust in me with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. But acknowledge me in everything you do and I'll guide your path. Because he wants you to know how to trust him. That crisis comes as a crossroad. That crisis comes as adversity. That crisis comes so that when you step in, these last 
couple of things. What happened? Here is number six. He puts you in a crisis of belief so that you have to make an adjustment. An adjustment. You know why he's doing that? Because you can't stay where you are. It's been said God loves you so much, he accepts you just like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. So think about this before we give you number seven. Number one is that God is at work through his spirit. God is pursuing you through his spirit. God is asking you to join him through his spirit. God is always speaking to you through his spirit. God will bring you to a point of crisis through his spirit. And then God will say, Johnny, make a decision. Make an adjustment in order for you to move forward. And here's the last thing. The last thing is that it takes obedience to experience God. See, we got it backwards. We think that we need to understand God before we can experience him. God says, no. Understanding comes after you obey me. Because obedience leads to experience. If you truly want to experience God, God says in his scriptures in John 14 that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. These seven principles this man wrote showed it in Moses' life. He showed it also in Joshua's life. He showed it in all the patriarchs and all the women of the Bible that God used. Why? Because it's about being filled with his spirit. And when you're filled with his spirit, you see God working. When you're filled with his spirit, you will see God pursuing you. When you're filled with his spirit, you will see him calling you to be involved. When you're filled with God's spirit, he'll continue to speak to you. And in that speaking to you, guess what will happen? God will bring you to a point of belief, a crisis of faith where you have to trust. And when you get to that trust part, he's saying, okay, you got to make an adjustment all by the Spirit. And guess what? Obey me, and you will experience me. Church, does that make sense to you? It's all about walking in the Spirit. Be filled with it. So when we look at Ephesians 5, and we begin to break down these things, he's saying in the middle of walking by the Spirit, here's a prohibition. I do not want you to be foolish. Now, we'll go to 1 Corinthians. We'll look at that scripture in 1 Corinthians 1. And we'll look at a statement that is made here as Paul is speaking to a very gifted church. Paul is speaking to a church that has the spiritual gifts moving in it. Paul is speaking to a church that is rich, a church that is growing. But he says, hold on. I want to show you this a church that is intelligent. A church that is very, very astute. Here's what he says. He says, for the word of the cross is foolishness. Because what he's saying is, is that you can't find me through your brain. You can't. Because there's something called academia, which is full of vocals. It's the spirit of influence. The spirit of He says, foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
notice how the power of God so chooses to reveal itself, not through the intellect. Because see, foolishness comes from uh, this uh, Greek word that I want to mention to you that uh, is, is called aphon, aphron, and it basically means mindlessness. It means stupid. It means arrogant. It means sarcastic or egotistic. It means rash. It means moral unbelieving. So when he says, I do not want you to be foolish, he's saying, look, but the words of the cross become foolish to those who deem themselves to try to intellectually be intimate with God. They have this lawyer mentality. And then he says, for it's, it's, but for those uh, who are being saved, it's the power. See, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. And then he asked the question, put the wise man in front of me, he won't be able to stand. Put the scribe in front of me, he won't be able to stand. Where is the debater of this age? Who wants to sit up on all these news shows and all these talk shows and debate with me? Like they get in a circle and begin to talk about what life is about. They can't stand with me. And then he says, look, has God not made foolish uh, the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through his wisdom does not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And watch verse 25. What it says there. Verse 25 said, Because of the foolishness of God, it's wiser than man. It's not saying God is foolish. It's just basically saying that even in things of God that look foolish, is wiser than the wisest man. Even in the things that look weak, it's more stronger than any man. The cross looked weak. The man on the cross. Look, we, but he was the strongest man in the world because he took on all the sins of the world. Church, did you get that? It's important to know where your strength comes from. It's important to always remember the cross. So not only in that uh, 17th verse, when we look at it here, we see it says, do not be foolish. But then it says, but. Now, we're not going to take a big, long time on the word understand. But see, understanding goes with the word knowledge. Understanding basically means stand under all the knowledge, all the information, all the evidence that you have about who God is, about what truth is about, and let that evidence speak for itself. So in the vein of not being foolish, he says, but I want you to understand something. Take that knowledge that you got and let it point you somewhere. He says, but understand something about what? But I want you to understand something about the will of God. This is back in verse 17. We will go there in Ephesians 5. So then, do not be foolish, but understand. Comprehend. Okay. Put together. Okay. Act piously to, uh, uh, to, to bring together into your mind. It says, let yourself be persuaded by the evidence that you see. But here's what I want you to understand. I want you to understand, first of all, what will is. You have a will sitting right here today. You have a will, 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 a will. A will. What that means is a desire. It means something 
is pursued by pleasure. You've got a will. But that will is a determination. That will is something that drives you. And he's not saying that you should somehow pick up your will. He says, but you need to understand what the will, the purpose, the decree, the desire of God is. Now, we're going to show you two sets of scripture. And I want you to understand this. And I told you the first time out. You're hearing it for the second time. Some of you. Don't stop. Don't, 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 don't search for the will of God. The moment you met Jesus, you found the will of God. Now, like I say, some people are confusing their identity with the will of God. See, the will of God is clear. I'm going to show it to you in two sets of scripture. We're going to look at John 6, all right? And I want you to read closely with me what it's saying, all right? Now, Jesus said to them, he's talking to the Pharisees. He's telling them about being the bread of life. He's telling them about big manna from heaven. He said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. You have no part of me. You remember in the Old Testament where your fathers waited and all that? You know what? I'm the real manna. I'm the one who came out of heaven. So he says, I'm bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He's talking about spiritual hunger. And then he says, and he who believes in me will never thirst. He's talking about the water. He's talking about the hunger that the spirit brings, and he's talking about the thirst that the spirit quenches. And let me say this to you. You cannot quench a spiritual thirst with anything physical. It can't. You need to understand. It takes the spirit to quench the spiritual thirst. And then he says, but I say to you that you have seen me and you do not believe me. That's why you're hungry and that's why you're thirsty. Because you don't believe me. That's why you can't get this stuff quenched. And then he moves on. And he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Now, it's hard for them to come to him because he's saying stuff that's hard for them to hear. Now, when the last time you had anybody say, hey, you really want to be a part of the kingdom? You know what I mean? You just bite off my, just, just take a bite. And then, then, then what we're going to do is we're going to ask you to drink my blood. Sound vampirish, does not. He was saying things to them that they couldn't understand in the spirit. But he was trying to tell them about who he is and what he's about to do. But he said, look, for I have come down from heaven. Now that's huge. Nobody's ever said that. Nobody but an angel. And then he says, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. See, the word sent is a Roman term, and the word sent comes from the Greek word apostolos. That's where you get the word apostle. That's where you get the word apostle. And it means to be sent. And it was the Father who sent him. And when the Romans were sent, they're uh, officers into another providence to, 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 to control it. They call them apostles. And Jesus says, I'm sent to establish who God is. Now watch these other verses. This is the will of him who sent me. See, when I can start realizing as a man 
less about who he is because it's not about me. Watch this. An emissary was there, an ambassador was there solely for the purpose of representing the one who sent me. Are you with me on that? When you realize you're sent, when you realize God has called you, now you start understanding what the will of God is. And then he says, this is the will of him who sent me that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is what the will of my father. Not the will of Johnny, not the will of you, not the will of is, not the will of a church, not the will of a city or nation. But he said, this is the will of my father that everyone who beholds the son and believes him will have eternal life. Just about eternal life. We spend too much time dealing with right or wrong instead of dealing with life and death. See, it's eternal life. And myself will raise him up on the last day. Now watch this. There's more. Verse, oh, that, that was 40 right there. So, so, so that, there's more. I want you to go to Romans 8 because I want you to understand something that, 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 that is in the Christian life right now that, that, that I think is pure heresy. Pure heresy. And I'm talking about one of the, probably one of the best teachers known to our generation. He's teaching this stuff. And he's teaching it wrong. And I'm going to show you what he's doing. For those whom he foreknew, that means God knew of us way before we were born. But it doesn't mean he forces us to make a choice. He just knows. And then he says he also predestined us to become conformed to the image of his son. That basically means before anybody is born, the whole end of it is that Jesus is the whole thing and that every scripture from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus Christ. And every person who's ever born, God is basically saying this, is that I have predestined a place for them to wind up in if they choose him as Lord and Savior. It's not a predetermined choice by man. It's a predetermined destination by God. And they get that confused with choice. And it's being preached all over the world by four or five people and they call it the doctrine of predestination and there is no such thing. All it is saying is that when Jesus Christ finished for you and you and me, you're going to look just like him. That's it. That's it. So whatever God is doing in your life, well, let me say this for one moment. Can you just take about 30 seconds and think about what God is doing in your life? Joseph say in the 
50th chapter of the book of Genesis when his brothers bowed down after he saw a dream in chapter 37. And some 13 to 17 years earlier, he told them about the dream. They thought he was stupid. And at the end, they asked for his forgiveness. He says, look here, man, I want you to understand. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Yeah. Whatever you're dealing with right now, God's going to use it to make you look just like Jesus. Just didn't hear me at all. Does this make sense to me? That's why he wants us to be filled with the Spirit. Because you're going to get conformed to the image of the Son so that he would be what? Firstborn among many brethren. Why is that firstborn so big? You know why? Because God had a nature, one nature. The Spirit had one nature. But Jesus is the only one that had two. He had a spiritual nature and a human nature. And he is the exact image of what God wanted to make man out of. That's why in the book of Genesis, it says, let us, you, I don't know if that looks like for you, let us make men in our own image in the likeness Because if we go back to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, go back there, and we begin now to look at what verse 18 is saying now. Because on the first hand, it says what? It says, do not. And then it comes back again in verse 18, and it says, do not. It says, do not be foolish. Do not be foolish. But in verse 18, it says, okay, do not get drunk. Now, 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 this is important because this word draw here, Methuska, says to be intoxicated. Now, here's the example. Here's the example. The, the, the example has a lot to do with soaking something. Now, I don't know how many of you still wash stuff. You know, I know my wife, because she messes with yarn a lot, has to soak it in things and, and put water or stretch it or something. Uh, then there's times where I get stained in my shirt when it has to be soaked overnight because sometimes this, this detergent stuff don't work. Can't get the spot out. It has to be soaked. Now that word soaked is so that every piece of fabric 
even though it's woven tight together, has to have time for that detergent to hit the stain, loosen it up, to be soaked. Now, when you think about the world and you think about one of the things that you see in different places, I remember us going to Wyoming uh, just a few weeks ago to play a cold, frigid game, and one of the coaches recognized that, man, there's just liquor stores all over the place. And, and he said, wow, I know they do more than that. He wasn't blaming an entire, you know, city. But what he was saying is, man, this place is saturated with these things. And there are places here that are saturated. Where I grew up, you can find a liquor store in every corner. So that people can go in and get intoxicated. Why? So that they can forget about their troubles. Let me tell you something. Being intoxicated does not remove your trouble. What it does is it brings more. Let me show you what we mean here in Proverbs. Now, I love reading this because I grew up in a household with a very, very alcoholic dad. And I think one of the things, and I love my dad, I love him, you know, uh, he, he was, you know, he was a good dad in the sense that he took care of us, but that was the choices that he made was not good. And I understand this right here, because the atmosphere in my home would change like that. One minute it would be nice, the next minute somebody would be flying across the room. It says, who has woe? without cause. Every time you look up, they're getting, you know, beat on or they become victims. It's the intoxicated person. Who has the redness of eye? Now he begins to talk about the drunkard. And then he says, those who linger long over wine. Now let me tell you something. God did not say don't drink wine. He said don't be controlled by it. He said don't get into excess. But he's saying now this person is what lingers Then he says, those who go to taste next drink, lingering over it. And then he says, do not look at the wine when it's red because it is attractive. It is beautiful. There's something about it that draws because real, pure, good, red wine that is come from cursed grapes that ferment has medicinal purposes to it. We've taken drugs today and we've made it instead of something that helps us. Instead of being numb for the sake of a moment to get something fixed, we want to be numb for a long time. And then he says, when it goes down smoothly, at the last, it bites like a serpent and it stings like a viper. Here's the next verse. And then it says, your eyes will see strange things. I want y'all to know something. I don't have to drink wine to see strangers in my eyes. I want y'all to know that. 
and your mind will utter poor things. See, something else is in control. Alright. And then he says, and you will be like one who lives a lifetime in the middle of the sea. Uh, you know, I can, I'm, I'm not much of a, you know, the reason why we never went on a cruise is not because of my wife, because of me. I would pass it. I would tell somebody to shoot me after 30 minutes. Man, that, 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 that sea, I'm telling you. I mean, I can remember us at, at, a, at a bowl game in San Diego and we went across the marina in a yacht just to go to dinner. Brother Lincoln, I'd take everything I could to hang on the pole. I didn't want to, I was too, too tough to let everybody know. I was like, man, just get to the, to, to the dinner. Because that sea, oh my goodness, man, that's shaky. That's staggering. It's a roller coaster. There's no balance there. There's no foundation there. And he says, or oh, like one who lies down at the top of a mast. They hit me. I didn't even know it. Okay. But it did not become ill. And they beat me. And I didn't even know it. What? When shall I work? You know what? That felt so good, man. I'll take another sip. Now, we're going to go back to Ephesians. I want to make this statement to you. I gave the illustration last service about the bull's hide. When they would take the hide off of a bull. And they wanted to make it so it had elasticity in it. It was, it was stretchable. They would soak it in fat. And that hide was so tough that when that fat got in between those little tiny morsels of hide, it would stretch. And it would soak it in fat in order for that to happen. Now let's go back and let's close this thing. He says, for that is dissipation. Now, dissipation means unsafeness, carelessly, excess. It's like a riot that goes on in your body. Jesus even speaks of this. I wanted you to go to Luke 21 because there's something I want you to see in Luke 21, 34 through 36. Now, I want you to look closely at a few words here. Be on guard. It's difficult for a drunk man to be on guard. And then he says, so that your heart will not be what? Weighed down with dissipation. Weighed down with this world. Weighed down with circumstances. Weighed down with choices that other people make that affect you. Weighed down with stuff, man, that presses in on you. Trying to bring you down. Trying to get you drunk with it. Then he says, and drunkenness, and the worries of life, and that day will come on you suddenly like a trap. You know what? And that's for everybody in this room. It'll come. Things will happen. Decisions will be made. That stuff will jump on your back. He said, be alert. Be on alert. And he says, it will come upon you, those who dwell on the face of the earth. He ain't talking about aliens, space people. He's talking about us. And he says, but keep on the alert all the time. Pray that you may have what strength to escape all these things that are about to take place. And watch this. To stand before. 
four are like the son of man. Now, what is he saying? Let's go back to verse 18. Here's how we land the ship, folks. Here's how we land Right here. It says, but be filled with the Spirit. Here's what he's saying. Now, I want to make this statement to you. We're going to shoot over to Acts 1-8. Go away, go away, Acts 1-8. But how is it that a guy like Peter, on the one hand, can say, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then five minutes later, Jesus rebukes him. Get behind me, say. How is it that spirit-filled man like Paul and Barnabas that have tension between each other? How is it that John Mark could just walk out in the book of Acts, all of a sudden, boom, decide to go in the middle of an assignment that God had given him? How is it that? Because ladies and gentlemen, as believers, we don't realize that we cannot walk in the spirit even for a moment. And in that moment that you're not moved by the spirit, watch this, you're intoxicated by the world. In the moment that you're not in control by the spirit, something else is controlling you. And it is not necessarily good. Because either God is controlling you or something else is controlling you. And that's something else that's called evil. That's something else that's called the flesh. And that's why you see in Ephesians 5, 18, be filled with the Spirit all the time. Every day, every minute, every minute, every second, every hour. And it is something that marks the Christian life. You need to understand how powerful that is. Because how then can a couple, how then can a husband and wife, how then can friends, how then can leaders, how then can anybody be in agreement except but by the Spirit? How can you even read the Word of God except but by the Spirit? How can you even hear God say anything to you except but by the Spirit? Now, why is that so important? In Acts 1, 8, look what it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witness. The whole purpose of the Spirit is so people can witness God in you. That's the whole purpose. So you can be a martyr for God. That's why we must walk in the Spirit. This is the third person of the Godhead. Now here's how I close. When we see the Spirit as a ghost, and it ain't like he's Casper, the friendly ghost. That ain't that, man, that's a cartoon. But the Spirit is as real as I'm looking at Caleb right now. He's real. He's not an it. He's a person. That's what we as believers don't get. See, I can disappoint you. Guess what? You can disappoint the Spirit. I can grieve you. Guess what? You can grieve the Spirit. There's intelligence there. At least I think there is. There's intelligence there. We have a mental connection. 
emotional. Guess what? The spirit is emotional. Yes, it is. It's not this ghost that you think is on some kind of screen. This is a real being that desires, watch this, to work with you. This is a real being that's pursuing you. This is a real being that's giving you an invitation to come. This is a real being that's speaking to you right now. This is a real being that wants you to know that he is going to bring you to a point of crisis. This is a real
message um, just really hit me today, and I, um, there were times when I was home where um, I wasn't sure if I should speak up or not, and um, there were a lot of times where I just kind of, you know, depending on what we were talking about, I just kind of went back and forth, like, should I say something, should I not say something, and in a lot of times I ended up not saying anything, and um, kind of made excuses for it and thought, like, no, it's probably, probably good I didn't say anything. And um, I had just read something yesterday, and everything I was reading yesterday was about the Spirit, <laughs> too. So when, when today, I was like, oh, my goodness. So, um, yeah, I don't really know what the Lord wants to do with that, but I just know that... And if you have any sort of experience like that, I mean, the, the place to start is just confessing that um, and just turning in repentance that if we're afraid to say something that we're not being controlled by the Spirit. And so, like, for me, the place to start is just repentance um, in that and wanting to know and be controlled by Spirit all the time, not just sometimes. Um, yeah, I think that's all I have. <laughs>